Welcome back to another edition of the Freedom Pack podcast. I'm your host, Lewis Renilchek. I'm joined here by my co-host, Mr. Joe Newton. And today's episode is regarding happiness. Now, going back to 500 BC, Buddha taught that there is no path to happiness. Happiness is the path. Similar to the mantra that the journey is the destination, the Buddha's take on happiness puts the greatest emphasis on people finding fulfillment in the experience of living rather than arriving at happiness. It's extremely important to remind yourself that in terms of happiness, there's no ultimate end goal or a be-all and end-all. We make our own happiness along the way. As we remind ourselves of this, We must also be aware of what Aristotle taught us, which is that happiness depends upon ourselves. The idea of happiness is something that we nurture on our own. It's not a gift other people or other things give to us. It's something we create from within and have a responsibility to protect. It's so easy to confuse true happiness with happy moments. For example, think. What happens when you reach a big goal of yours? Do you feel happy? And for how long? How long do you maintain that crazy feeling of euphoria after reaching a big goal? For most of us, the answer is not long at all. A day? A week? A month? It's not that you're less pleased that you've reached the goal. It's the part of the joy is in achieving something. And once the moment of achievement passes, We're constantly looking for the next goal, that next rush of euphoria, the next achievement. You see, contrary to our belief, happiness is not that sense of euphoria. It's something so much bigger. It's an ongoing state of mind. To increase your happiness, people often think you need more and more of these happy moments. This is not the case, however. To be happy, You need a positive outlook on all moments in your life's journey. Now, Joe, I want to bring you in here. As someone who's read extensively on the subject of happiness, what I want to know is, how would you personally define happiness? Well, I think that was a great introduction. And I loved what you said about Aristotle and about how happiness is dependent on ourselves. When you think about happiness in the modern age, We should be at the happiest time in human history, right? If you look outside at the external world, I mean, it's the best that it's ever been, right? You know, I mean, you think about globalization. We can connect with anybody in the world at a click of a button. There's the fewest deaths by disease. It's the cheapest experiences that you can get in life. You can catch a flight almost anywhere in the world. Nearly anyone can afford that. You know, it's the most opportunities, the highest living wage. But conversely, we've also got the highest levels of depression, which has nearly doubled in the last 10 years. Anxiety is at an all-time high. Male suicide at an all-time high. So really, when I think about it and I piece those two together, you just come to the conclusion, and this was just something that I thought of before even studying it, that the external world that we live in plays a minute part in happiness. Now, having read more into it, and I think that a great psychologist is Sean Aker, who famously wrote The Happiness Equation. 
Now, in his studies, he has proven that 10% of happiness comes from the external world. This is things like your money, your jobs, all, you know, all, all extrinsic things. So, and I'll, I can prove this as well. Let's say you go to, let's say I put you on a plane right now and I put you to the favelas in Brazil and you just walk through some of the, through some of the poorest, the low income neighborhoods that you can find. You're going to see some of the happiest kids kicking, you know, a beaten up football. You know, you go to Bali and you see, you know, the Balinese there. They're, they're notorious for being one of the happiest cultures in the world, but also some of the poorest. Such huge wealth distributions. So when you put those, you put those things into a puzzle, then that means that happiness must pertain to other factors. Now, I'm going to bring back Sean Aker into this, author of The Happiness Equation. Now, he says that happiness is the joy that we feel when we're striving towards our potential. Now, I'm going to compare that with the pretty much the god of positive psychology, Martin Seligman. Now, he said that you break happiness down into three different parts. Pleasure, engagement, and meaning. So, if you compare those things, then the, the common denominator of them both is meaning meaningful things which bring life which you know which invigorate our souls now where does this meaning come from i think that the first part of it is in the belief that what we do matters if you look at a depressed person they they have this they have this belief that whatever they do it just has no ultimate impact in in either their outcomes or in the world so yeah, so meaning. Now I now I think that and I truly believe, right, having studied happiness for so long, I've such a fascination of mine that I believe that meaning re- relates not just to job satisfaction, but also to community. I mean that was perfect that perfectly brings us on to to my next question and something that personally I've I've always pondered over. A year ago I worked in a job where Everyone had the same mindset. People used to tell me that money was more important than breathing. They told me that money was just a, di- a direct cause of happiness. And, and that was the mindset they had. And it always made me wonder because these people spent their entire days at this job. And it was a job which I don't think they were getting much satisfaction of, and like you said, purpose of what they were doing. I don't think what they were doing had any purpose. They yeah. were trying to sell other people's products, right? Yeah. So I thought to myself, they can't be making themselves happy in the job. They're only happy with the amount of money they're getting from the job. And I thought these people must not have time for much outside of work. So it made me wonder what truly are the main components of happiness. So I wanted to get your take on it. I mean, if you break happiness down and you bro- bro- broke it down into different segments, what are some of the main what are some of the main components that make up happiness? Maybe family, money, as we said, mm. um, social life. Personally, what would you say? Well, it's interesting. I mean, now we've got about eight decades of research into positive psychology. And I can tell you that you look at any number of studies, money plays has very little correlation with happiness. But I will add that it also plays a huge correlation. It is hugely relative to unhappiness so over a certain threshold 
money plays, you know, is almost completely irrelevant in happiness. In the same way that intelligence is almost completely unrelated to happiness. So if you look at the work of Norman Vincent Peale, the godfather of of positive psychology, the founder, the work which he has said has been furthered by research. So now we know that through the work of the likes of Norman Vincent Peale, you know, to to Sean Aker and and all the different people in between, all the all the people that have played a role in discovering positive psychology, the number one biggest correlator to happiness is community. Now this relates to the the meaningful connections which you have to have in life. You know, I think if you look at some of the unhappiest people and you you look at you look at two things. You look at their community uh, and you look at whether their work brings a meaning and they're probably going to be depressed. I think that it's very difficult to have a great community, a great support network of people that unconditionally believe in you, believe in your dreams and also to have meaningful work, work which gives gives meaning to your soul and still be unhappy. I think that's very difficult, right? I'm going to talk a little bit more about community. And when you think about meaningful connections, I I cannot emphasize enough how important this is. If you look at people that that drain you, they call these now ambivalent friendships. The ones which you don't know whether they whether they want you or not, you know, whether they you know, they sort of just feel obligated to talk to you almost out of like a necessity. You probably speak to them every few months. Now, this has been proven that they drain you more than toxic friendships where you know that the other person hates you. So I truly believe that as people, we should we should stop chasing these ambivalent relationships and go go chase people with the same hobbies where, with, where relationships aren't transactional, you know, where where you truly want the best for for the other person and it's not predicated on anything like going out or or if you're uh, different genders or having sex or things like that so that's the first thing i would say is seek my is seek genuine deep meaningful relationships with people truly have their best interests at heart but the other factor as well is that now we know through research that the external world external factors they only play about 10% in happiness. And I, th- I think that if you look at, you know, certain things, like let's take Harvard students, for example, there's an 80% correlation with them and depression. So either they've been depressed, have experienced a significant depressive bout, or they're probably going to head into a depressive uh, spiral due to them showing already depressive tendencies. Let me ask you a question, Lewis. So if we relate the Harvard one, then we know that success is not an indicator of happiness. So let me ask you a question. Who's the most successful person that you think of when when I just say success? Who comes to your mind? Honestly, within seconds, as soon as you said that, Elon Musk came to my mind. I mean, a man who's been seen success all his life ever since, I think it was 12 years old when he taught himself how to how to computer program games and he he sold uh, his code for five hundred dollars when he was twelve years old. Yeah. Obviously went on to f- found many companies within seven years of starting up a company which eventually became PayPal. 
it was bought by eBay for something like 1.5 billion in in stock. I mean, his success knows no bounds. Yeah. But now let me say to you, what if Elon Musk just set out to have a quiet life, but like a compulsive gambler, he just couldn't stop himself from setting up different companies. Now, by normal success metrics, he's successful beyond belief. But by the very definition of success, then you'd have to say that he's a monumental failure. That is why I truly believe that it's vital for humans to define what success means to them and not by societal, by measuring sticks. Find out what gives your soul meaning. Find out what gives you that passion. And remember, work which gives you meaning plus community is pretty difficult in that scenario if you have both of those to be unhappy what you've touched on there is it resonates with me so much it was only the other day funnily enough i was scrolling through youtube at some of the some of the videos on my uh, subscription feed and it was this youtuber i don't know if anyone out there has heard of him his name is jamie kingston now what he does is he free climbs so obviously no equipment he's just an adrenaline junkie right so he travels the world climbing the biggest skyscrapers the biggest i mean there's a, there's a video of him, I think one of his most famous videos. He free climbs the Eiffel Tower. No mm. equipment, he just starts at the bottom, climbs up. He stays there overnight, hiding from security. So he does this. He climbs heights you couldn't even imagine, right? So he's always on an adrenaline rush, right? So his life is basically traveling to the most beautiful countries in the world. He's in Dubai maybe once a month. Yeah. He's traveling to America, all around the world doing this and making money that's all he has to do he just he does what he likes climbs up these things millions of views on youtube makes money gets to travel the world he's written books on it very successful in that sense but then he hasn't uploaded a video for the last 10 months and nobody knew why he came back the other day with a video talking about how he's had deep deep depression for the last 10 months talking about how he would wake up and think to himself I don't want to be awake. And he would just sleep the day away, hoping that one day he'd wake up and he wouldn't feel depressed anymore. Now, he said he only got out of this depression and started to find happiness again. When he moved to a network of people, he moved to Canada for a couple of months to live with these gamers. Mm. They're very successful gaming. I don't know what you'd call them, a gaming team, a gaming group. Anyway, he lived in their house for a couple of months and they just obviously they all shared the common passion of gaming and he said gaming has always been his true passion and he said in just a couple of months of surrounding himself with those people and a passion he's had since a young age he said it's brought him straight out of his depression and focused him and now he knows exactly what he needs to do to become happy so i thought it was very interesting you brought up community and a network because that really resonated with me on that topic now this works perfectly in, in into what I want to touch on next. Obviously, I use the example of Jamie Kingston. Obviously, he was coasting through life as a success, but he wasn't truly happy. Now, how many people do you think coast through life believing they're happy? Maybe through little happy moments here and there, maybe not realizing they could be happier. Yeah. How many people do you reckon coast through life thinking they're happy, but they really aren't? I think that's a great question. Now, I'm going to start by saying that I don't necessarily truly believe that people uh, have an innate belief that they're happy. What I do believe is I believe I, 
honestly believe that they've been prescribed a wrong formula. In the Western world, they teach you work hard, be successful, and then be happy. Now, the problem with that is that we know that, you know, through studies that being happy increases performance on every single metric. So if you rewire there and then you change the format to be happy, then work hard, then be successful, then you can rewire your entire life. But the problem is, and I think you touched on it earlier, is that if you put success as your measuring stick for happiness, then the goalposts are always going to change. You you measure your self-worth based on grades and you get good grades and then suddenly you need to get better grades. You make, you make a certain number of sales and then to, to increase your happiness level, you, you're depending on another level of, of sales, a higher number. It's just a completely never-ending cycle. But when you look at happiness, and if you put happiness first in that equation, so happiness, work hard, be successful, then every number of metrics which were tested over through uh, Sean Aker's work, including productivity, relationships, health, finances, all of these things, they clearly prove that happiness increases performance. So why are people choosing to be miserable? I just don't understand it. And he's clearly defined that happiness is a precursor to success and not a byproduct. And there's now, you know, over two decades of research proving that change is possible and that we're not only as good as our environment. We're not only as good as our genes. Now, I'm going to give you an example on the power of happiness. In the 1930s, there was a study, a study done on nuns. Now, I'm going to t- I think there was about 280 nuns. Now, I'm going to tell you why this is su- such a great study, and this is still talked about. This is such a revered study still to this day. The great thing about nuns is that they all have the same routine. They were all the same age. They all ate the same food. They all lived the same lifestyle, the same number of sleep, the same, the same lifestyle habits. And they got these nuns to, to, to journal every day for a year. They give these journals to an unbiased panel. They give about a thousand or so journals to, to, to you know, everyone who was reading it. And then they got them to place these journals into four piles. So it went the happiest, slightly less happy, then, you know, bordering on negative and then extremely negative. Now, it's of no surprise that the people whose books were placed into the happiest column, not only did they live the longest by a substantial amount, but they also lived the better lives. They, they at the end of it, they, they showed higher levels of life satisfaction and they lived, I think it was an average of about 15 years more. Now, the, now what this does is that, that our views, our human beliefs, they create an aggregate effect. So uh, if you have a positive views, then it creates new neural networks. So you can view the world in a more positive way. And I think that the, the best way to, to, to measure this is placebo drugs, right? Because for a drug to get passed at a clinic, it has to beat the level of placebo, of placebo performance. 
So placebo is just another word for mindset because you're just getting them to believe that there's a that there's another factor. So by this very definition, that our happiness levels are completely dependent on our mindset. So how you see the world is the reality which you are going to create. It ma- it makes me think, right? So people people like that. It's all, it always obviously the examples you've gave. People will coast through life and and they and they won't be happy, right? And a lot of those people. And I think it's definitely a pattern in today's day and age. A lot of people will tell you that they don't know how to be happy. Mm. They'll tell you that maybe there's certain roadblocks in their way from being happy that they don't know how to overcome. Or or sometimes simply there's a chemical imbalance in, 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 their, in their brain that doesn't let them be happy. But what I wanted to ask you was what are some of the main factors in life? that prevent people from being happy, right? And even though a lot of people won't admit it, is money a big factor in unhappiness? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think money is definitely a huge factor in unhappiness, but it's not a huge factor in happiness. And I think that people's beliefs are uh, categorically what is, what is holding them back from, from achieving high levels of happiness. Now, we can take depression for example now well we can take environment and people that that have beliefs such as you know stigmatizing beliefs such as they can't be happy until they're successful but there's there's research clearly proving that that given routines which clearly designed to to produce happiness in people that it can overcome a roughly eight generations of misery so I, you know, so it's not about that. It's just about, it's it's so related to your mindset and your internal world, and you know, and and it's a fact, right? The positive brains they have a biological advantage over everyone else. Brains are designed to to perform at the highest level when they are positive. Now, what these do is that they affect how we see the world, and they also affect our ability to succeed with it. If you take a brain which is you know, given stress or crisis, what it designs itself to do is it designs itself to cope. Now, that's the complete opposite of thriving. So positive emotions, they have a converse effect on it. They they flood our brains with, with dopamine and serotonin, and this drives up our learning centers. They, they're responsible for organizing new thoughts, new information, we make and sustain new pathways when when we're at a happier level. Um, it also allows us to think more, more quickly, more creatively. You know, I love this term. It's called broad and build. And basically, what this term means is, is that it means that humans can build on an already existing habit. So, for example, if you dr- if you're a drinker, if you're an alcoholic, and this relates to alcoholism. Then one of the things of that may you may be you may get angry while you drink you may vomit you may do things which you which you regret, but that's the same thing for happiness, right? When our brains are positive, our the shape and the plasticity of our brain is constantly changing. So where the positivity does is it increases the creativity in our brains by up to and around thirty percent. Now, if you study someone, I'll just back this point up. Let's take uh, undoubtedly one of the most successful people in history by common metrics, Vincent van Gogh. But if you study the timeline of his art, then he was never successful during 
or productive at a, at a period where he was depressed. It was always during a manic phase of his life. So, and I'm going to relate this back to an earlier point because one of the common beliefs of a depressed person is that they don't believe that their work matters. They don't believe that there's any impact of their work. But when you have a belief that your work matters, your brain is going to create new neural, neural networks that allows you to see the world in a completely different way. Now, what I quickly want to touch on, it's quite off the cuff, I want to touch on it. You're talking about people not being as effective or successful during negative points in their life. What would you say if I threw an example at you, such as Kurt Cobain? Yeah. Obviously, Nirvana's front man. Mm. It was often noted about Kurt Cobain that a lot of his best songwriting was found during his most depressed times. Now, I just wanted to, to, to get your opinion on it. Would you, would you say that this helped his success at all? Well, no, I wouldn't, because categorically it's proven that brains produce more creatively, they're more organised. So if this was his best work when he's depressed, then think about what he could have done with a positive mindset and a, you know, and a positive outlook. All these positive emotions would have it would have completely drove all that performance up substantially, and this is backed by decades of evidence. Uh, I I think that's a fantastic answer, especially I think it's often noted from a technical music standpoint that Kurt Cobain's songwriting was never anything extraordinary. But people who regard him as such a genius are people with a similar mindset. So people who relate their negativity to someone else's negativity. So I think that was a fantastic point you made. So like you said, what would have happened if he truly used his efforts in a positive frame of mind? And I think that's fantastic from you there. Yeah. But what I wanted to know on the subject of happiness mm. is I know you touched on it touched on it briefly saying that in general money isn't um a direct cause of happiness. Yeah. Whereas a budding entrepreneur yourself, would you say that ha- that money equaled happiness to a certain extent at all? Yeah, I I can think of points where where it can, and I'll explain to you the three biggest indicators of of happiness. So we've got community, we've got meaningful work, and we've got autonomy. Now, autonomy basically means that you have the choice to do what what you want. You have freedom in your life. You have you have some security. So while money specifically doesn't doesn't equate to to happiness, what it does give you is it gives you the platform. To, to combine all those things with a great mindset, to, to intertwine them into a, a beautifully happy world. So now I think that it's, it's vital to look at what we can do to develop such a, great, such a great routine for happiness. And I think that the first thing is, is changing your mindset, right? We know that mindset contributes to roughly 90% overall but also it's vital to look at the environment that you're in is your environment empowering you to win does is your environment aligning with it with your beliefs i read a book the other day called connected and and it followed on from jim Rohn's theory that you are the people or you are the average of the five people you you most associate yourself with and in this study is proven that if your friend's friend is suffering with obesity, then that will in turn affect your obesity. 
in the same way that if your neighbour is going through grief and you uh, speak to this neighbour for roughly only about 20 minutes per week, then that's going to have a, a knock-on effect on yourself. So I think that it's vital to set yourself up to win. Now, it's also such a key component that don't, en- don't underestimate neuroplasticity. And what this means is our brain's ability to reshape itself and adapt. Now, we can rewire ourselves in the same way that if we're surrounded by negativity and we bring her into our world, then our brain is going to see that as a reality and we're going to do things in a negative way. A prime example of this is there's a study done on London cab drivers. Now, London is known for being one of the, the most difficult cities in the world to drive a taxi. And that is because that basically the, the way which you drive through the roads, it's like a maze all the time, right? So that, now in these studies, they did, you know, neuroscience uh, reports into these guys. And they found that in London cab drivers, their hippocampus was larger than normal. And it was a common factor after between five to 10 years of, of working in a London cab. Now, you could say to yourself, did these London cab drivers know from birth that they were going to be a London cab driver? <laughs> and did they know that they were specifically going to be working in London? Right? Or do you subscribe to the theory that whatever your reality is, your brain will adapt to it? So if you hold empowering beliefs, if you hold positivity, then your brain will bring that in and it's going to open up new worlds for you. Now, I think that it's vital to know how we can all do that. You know, one of the things I was going to ask you was about, was about you know, happiness routines. And I think that it's so important to do. We have a routine for our body. We have a, you know, a routine to get up in the morning. But nobody really does a happiness routine, you know. Um, you don't just brush your teeth once and then expect your teeth to be clean for the rest of your life. You don't just work out once and expect you know, to be in shape for the rest of your life. So this is why I truly believe that it's, it's a daily practice. And it's also so important to try to, to try to make this a habit. Now, things such as gratefulness, this is timeless. This, this goes back thousands and thousands of years to the early scriptures. They, they talked about the, the importance of gratefulness and just rewiring your brain to be grateful for things. Every day, try to write out, three things that you're grateful for another thing you can do is is obviously meditate to to prime your mind you can uh you can just try to change the way in which you see certain situations but other things you can do as well is is go up to a co-worker and walk in there and say you know what you're my favorite co-worker today write out a great two-minute email on how on how somebody is better in your life. Make it genuine. Create these deeper, meaningful connections, and in return, you're gonna li- you're gonna have better life satisfaction. You're gonna live longer. You're gonna be more successful in the four facets: productivity, life satisfaction, health, and finances. Then you're gonna go up in all these four facets. Question: I wanted to pose to you, since we relate a lot of what we talk about to business, to money to success yeah so this is the example i want to run by you so me and you and i can probably say the same for everybody listening 
They care a lot about the environment, right? Yeah. We care a lot about the environment. Okay. Uh, I assume a lot of people listening to this would be against the use of things such as plastic straws, plastic waste, things that you could cut back on easily that people use as a luxury rather than a necessity, right? Yeah. Now, if you were a lawyer, right, if you spent your time studying law, you become a lawyer, and you were defending a corporation that was being sued by an environmentalist campaign, right? So if you managed to win for this big corporation and yeah. you got a huge payout, let's say it changed your life sort of money. Let's say you're representing a chain like McDonald's. Yeah. Whatever money you get is going to change your life. Mm. Now you start, you start winning these and you're making so much money and you think, wow, you're getting these little happy boosts. You're thinking, well, I'm making loads of money. Yeah. But you're making money against something you care about, against something you believe in, against something you're passionate about. Yeah. Could that person truly be happy making substantial amounts of money for something they don't believe in? Well, I think that firstly, I would say that that goes against the meaningful work principle. But I think that following on from that, because happiness is a mindset and it's a daily choice, the the other factor is then what do they decide to do with the money? Because we know that if you're, you're unhappy and you're broke, you're not going to be that much happier when you're rich. We know that. But what do they decide to do with that money is a definitive factor in that, in that question, I truly believe. In studies done, I think there was a great study done at Harvard where they give, I think it was each pupil about $35, $35 and they said to them, you know, this is your money. You can either have a choice to go and buy something for yourself or for someone else. And you've just got to score your happiness level at the end of it or your satisfaction. And the people that bought something for someone else, they showed higher levels of happiness than the people who just bought something for themselves. And I also think that when it comes to success, a lot of people, they just have this innate belief that, that being happy is going to somehow stop them from, from you know, progressing with, with their life. It's going to like slow them down. But no, but that's what pleasure will do. Joy is going to progress you further. You know, if if we are truly happy and we're operating close to our potential, then joy, it can, you know, it can do great things for us. We can feel joy at some of our darkest moments. If you are running a marathon, but you, you know, it's one of your goals to strive towards the end of it, your legs are going to be burning, but you're still going to feel a joy that you're getting closer there. So yeah, what what I took away from that is that there is a difference between happiness and being content. I think being content with something is something that can stunt your growth, like you said. But I think happiness can only progress it. I completely agree with that. So, I suppose that's a, a talk for a different day, but I will say that, that growth is uncomfortable and content is a comfortable act. So, so moving on to my last question. Yeah. And of course, I want to relate this back to from an entrepreneur standpoint right so you talked a lot about the happiness equation and putting happiness before money in terms of money becoming a byproduct of your happiness so there's a lot of people out there and probably thinking how do i do that so how do you think how can money become a byproduct of happiness and are there any examples you can think of off the top of your head okay so if you break it down right so if the first thing we're doing is that we're practicing our daily, our daily happiness routine, we're grateful, we're, we're doing things for other people, you know, we're being mindful, 
you know, we're giving back all these things. And the next thing then is we've got big goals and we're working towards these. And then also, you know, at the centre of all that, we've got a great community of people that want to see us win, that truly believe in our goals and dreams that we connect with on a deep and spiritual level. Then what money's going to do is it's going to enhance that. But not, you know, it's not going to be a substantial enhancement. But what it, what it gives you is it gives you a freedom. It gives you autonomy. Autonomy is probably the third biggest driver in in happiness because you have the security you have no no real stress no worries and if you take someone's freedom away then that is a deep driver of misery money bent and invested in the right way non there's no correlation really between possessions and and happiness but there's a slightly higher correlation with experiences and in the same way there's a much larger correlation between autonomy and happiness fantastic i think this has been a fantastic podcast and some of the the case studies you've brought up uh, they really do make you think and um before we call this uh call this one a wrap i just wanted to ask you at the end of this podcast is there any part in thoughts that you wanted to pass on to anyone listening yeah so we know that that the way happiness is taught in common side is wrong the common formula is work hard, be successful, then be happy. But I'm saying to you right now that it's a failing formula. Be happy now. Be happy first. Don't say that you're going to be you're going to be happy when X or Y happens. Don't wait for that. Be happy now, and all your success is going to be magnified. And you do this through daily routines. Try it for twenty one or thirty days. See how, see how things in your life change. What do you have to lose? Start writing down three things every day you're grateful for. Start telling different people that you appreciate them. You know, start being more mindful about your actions. Look look to different things which light your soul on fire. And I can, pr- I promise you this is going to make such a huge difference in your life. Thank you very much. That was Joe Newton. I've been Lewis from Check. This was episode four of the Freedom Pack podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating, write the review. It helps out with the visibility of the show. Follow Freedom Pact on Instagram, simply at Freedom Pact. You can get a whole back catalogue of these episodes available on YouTube. You just know what to search, Freedom Pact. And we'll see you in episode five.